It's about to get Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, good brothers, good sisters, welcome to The Ringside Rant, the podcast with the best interviews, the best guests, the best conversations across all of wrestling, podcasting, and beyond. Right around the corner is another great interview, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride, and welcome to Ranters Nation. Welcome back, Ranters to the ringside rant i am the man with the magical voice i am rj i am with the man that quite frankly needs no introduction because he's the man the myth the legend he is a senior columnist for pro wrestling torch bruce mitchell bruce how you doing today my friend doing fine beautiful day glad yeah. to be here oh yeah you know take take two you know I, I, for those of you that aren't privy to the behind the scenes i actually blanked on bruce's name and i'm like oh crap this never happened before so this is take two <laughs> well you know the man the myth the legend it's more a myth so yeah i, I can see <laughs> I, I can see this is mitchell so yeah that's all right no, that's all it's all good my I, friend i screw up names all over the place so um been doing it for 30 years, so no problem. Yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> that, that's that's definitely all right. Yeah, yeah. But no, I was uh, I've talked to a few individuals, and you know they're like, oh, you having Bruce on? You having Bruce on? You gotta ask him this. You gotta ask him that. I'm like, yeah, no, no, I'm gonna ask him what I want. I'm like, I'm not gonna bombard him with uh, probably questions that he gets all the time, probably. But uh, you know, I probably still have no, questions. No, no, yeah. Ask what you got. That's the problem. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is uh, – you're one of the, the – Pro Wrestling Torch is one of the websites that um, that I've pretty much, uh, you know, followed since day – since day one, since I've been uh, following pro wrestling probably back uh, at this point, probably about 15 or 20 years uh, before, you know, the likes of Twitter and Facebook and all that crap where you could actually go online and read – you know, whether there be your reports uh, or whomever uh, on the website. And, uh, you know, it's definitely an honor to finally chat with you. Well, cool. I appreciate it. I appreciate the chance oh, yeah. to talk. It's, it's always interesting. It's always, um, you know, you know it, wrestling is such a volatile thing in so many different ways. It's a great subject to talk about. It's a great subject to um, write about. Mm-hmm. And um, appreciate the chance to do it here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, you know, what got you – you know, got you into wrestling, you know, you know, whether it be watching it or just saying, hey, you know, one of these things, sometimes people just pick it up and say, yeah, I want to do this. What got you into uh, reporting, writing, what have you for uh, for wrestling? Well, as a wrestling fan, when I got hooked, I would bet it was five years before I knew anybody else who was a fan. I got hooked in my um, coming out of high school into my college years and and I was aware of, you know, wrestling, wrestling fans had a bad reputation and wrestling had this, you know, stigma to it that it was fake. And so anybody that was a real sports fan didn't take it seriously. Anybody that was a, you know, an intelligent person certainly didn't take it seriously. And I was a big sports fan. I thought I was an intelligent person, but I was interested in, I was interested in it. It was like, I, I felt like I found this underground thing that was um, really well done. 
and um, nobody seemed to know, and that was like right up my alley. So um, mm. even if I didn't know it, and then I just happened to be, I, I happened to be a fan during, um, you know, in the in the area with when Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling was at its like you know creative and financial peak. So I didn't know that like you know that the, 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 literally the the first three or four classes of the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I was watching those guys in their prime. I was just watching. And so that, that, um, you know, that was cool. But anyway, so like five or six years I go by and then I'm a comic book guy too. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was in a comic book store in Greensboro and I wasn't even living in Greensboro. I was there visiting some friends and I heard this guy talking about wrestling and he was talking about wrestling in a, um, you know, in a, pretty you know in an intelligent way and it was kind of the way i reacted to it too it's like who does what and who's going to win and you know how they're going to do it and it's how everybody talks about it on on you know social media now and but i was shocked and i i butted into the conversation and um and the short version of the story i've made a friend for the next 35 years and um it was and i got invited to go to wrestling matches in the Greensboro Coliseum. I was going by myself to some matches and, um, whenever I could talk friends into going, but it wasn't very often. Um, I would, I would go over to, um, the Dorton arena in Raleigh, but, um, I got to, so I got to watch from the front row. And then, um, I read all the magazines I could get my hands on because as a comic book guy back then, there wasn't, this was just the beginning of the comic book store thing. But when I was a kid, you had to get on your bicycle and ride to the different stores and figure out what day that new comic books came in. If you want, if you really like serious about what you were doing, um, and, before, and you weren't driving, you know, you didn't have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I got, I figured out when the, um, after mags came out and what, um, you know, what newsstands had them. They're not even newsstands anymore, but you know, places that just sold magazines and, and comic books and, and candy and cigarettes and that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, so I would I would know you know where the reliable ones were, and I'd, I'd read all the wrestling magazines. And they weren't a big help because they were all kayfabe, and you could tell they were made up. It was you know because um, you know by the time the television aired. And the angle was on the air. It was, you know, they couldn't publish until six weeks later. So they had to kind of make stuff up. And then you could, and then they were based in New York City. So, um, you know, they they could, they covered New York a lot better than they covered other places. And, you know, I guess they just looked at, okay, where are our our sales? Um, You know, where do we sell magazines and who sells magazines? And let's send, you know, let's send Bill after and maybe Stu Stack somewhere to, um, to, to go cover some stuff, but it really, you know, I always felt like it was like sifting through crap to find some diamonds to figure out, you know, what it was, what was going on. And Bill Lafter's, Bill Lafter had a kayfabe two page column, but he just listed where kind of listed where everybody was, was wrestling, you know, like the famous ones, if they moved somewhere, you know, if, if the guy left your territory, you didn't know where he went, but, um, you know, you could read the after magazine six weeks later, and maybe he would say where the guy went. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jay Youngblood got his leg. When I read that Jay Youngblood got his leg broken, I watched it on television. He got his leg broken, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood by Jimmy Snuka and Ray Stevens, and they did it on the they did it on the show. And then the next magazine I'm reading says he's in he's in Portland and he's about to win the Portland. Um, I mean, he's about to win the um, you know the 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 state 
um, championship, it's like it's easy to put two and two together and go, well, they shipped him out to Portland. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and he was, and also he wasn't, he didn't break his leg. So, like, those little things, like, you know, those are little clues. But then I got a Wrestling Eye magazine, which some people will remember, um, longtime fans. And it wasn't the best magazine in the world, but it had some stuff. Like, they, they wrote about, um, I remember it was the first time I heard about what happened with Jimmy Snuka and his girlfriend, Nancy Argentina. And it wasn't very well reported, but, I mean, that stuff was, there was no real dirt, and that was dirt. So I was like, oh, okay. And there was a little ad in the back, um, $5, send $5 to Campbell, California, and get um, the Wrestling Observer. And I remembered the name from Sports Illustrated, from the Hulk Hogan cover, and I always thought there would be something like that for you know, I I was um, helping manage a, a department store, and we would get the Kiplinger newsletter, um, which was a financial newsletter, came out every week. And I always thought there's got to be something for the wrestlers and for the wrestling promotions to do that are like this. I'll never see it, but you know, they've got to like be be trading information and giving the, their own news, this behind the scenes news to each other. And there really wasn't that, but what it was was Dave Meltzer Wrestling Observer. And so when I got the Wrestling Observer, I was like, oh my god, you know, I found. I found it and um, found this source of information. I've shared it with my friends and um, I'd sit there and wait um, every week to get the wrestling observer. You know, now, you know, you get your, you get your, because he was, you know, a few, he was like, however, you know, he wrote it and then published it. And then however long it took to, um, to come from Campbell, California to Oxford, North Carolina, I get it. And, um, and I always thought of myself as a writer, but I wasn't writing. So I, um, wrote some letters to the observer. They went over well. And, um, I started writing longer and longer letters to the observer. And this was a time where, you know, right now you put up your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram, but you know, Twitter really, and, and Facebook and, and like instantaneously people see it. Um, that was, there were some fans who would write and a lot of them, you know, Mike Tanay and, um, Dave Prezak, and I mean, just, there's a ton of people, Alex Marvez, um, who wrote letters there, who got jobs in wrestling, or you know, went on to do things, and it was kind of a competitive thing to see if you could get published, and would people react to it, and I did okay with that, and long story short, Wade Keller was a teenager working on the pro wrestling torch around the same time, saw the letters, and offered me an opportunity to write for him, and um, I've been writing for him ever, ever since. Yeah. Yeah, that like I said in the intro there, Prosing Torch has always been my you know my go-to since you know since I started wrestling. Like I said back years ago, but uh, you you mentioned uh, Bill Apter and Dave Meltzer there in that in, in that question, but those kind kind of the guys that you know were kind of influenced or impacted you into writing, or were there other guys? I know. I mean, I'm a reader. You know, I like read books and comic books and magazines and. Um, I really, as far as like the way I wrote, um, there's a guy who, who um, ha- didn't write for all that long, but his name was Mr. Mike, mm-hmm. and he was he, he actually was an accountant, and but his name was Mr. Mike. He was really sarcastic, really sardonic, had a cool little drawing style too. He did these cartoons for the Observer and the Torch. I liked that, and I came out of the um, you know out of the 70s and early 80s where people um where there were there was something called rock criticism like rock and roll music and rolling stone and cream magazine and some other places had rock critics you knew who they were they had good person you know they, they could write they had personalities and they weren't um 
you know, they looked at rock and roll as this kind of, you know, as this underground culture. So they didn't have this reverence. They're like, if, some, if an album stunk and it was by a famous, um, you know, you know, if it was um, the Reverend um, Charles M. Young and he wasn't a reverend, but that was, you know, he, that was the name he wrote under. He was that was his real name. And if he thought the Eagles sucked, then he wrote about how the Eagles sucked. And why? And the Eagles read it in Rolling Stone and responded, and there was all kinds of back and forth like that. And I enjoyed that. And I thought the writing was really good. I like that. I like that kind of um, you know see things for what they are, and and take that. And I've always kind of taken that mentality to what how I write. The funny thing to me is that that rock and roll criticism hadn't hadn't existed in or music criticism like that hadn't existed really in years and years and years so um but there's wrestling criticism that, that exists like that and, mm. and and it has stayed kind of strong but it, i mean but there's people take real different approaches to it but i wanted to write you know i wanted to tell the truth i wanted to write and it was like i i found this place you know i found this place that i could write about that was um that has everything. Wrestling has everything. Wrestling has cool, um, you know, drama and you know, r- real excitement. It also has, um, you know, shady people. It has con men. It comes from a con man culture, carnival, you know, the, the carnival world and and the history of wrestling and manipulation and all that. Um, promotion is, you know, hype is part of the American culture. And then you've got, you know, you've got sex and all kinds of ways. You've mm-hmm. got drugs you've got rock and roll you've got death you've got serious issues and um you've got you know cultural issues and then you've got um i don't know disco inferno wrestling tessa blanchard so it's like <laughs> you've got all kinds of stuff yeah. so that you can like and and so that i've always like tried to write about a different variety of things and sometimes be real straightforward and and really strong and other times to be funny and, and and sometimes mix it and and all that kind of stuff and so mm-hmm. it's it's been um so that's kind of how I look at that stuff. I don't mean to—I didn't mean to like turn this into me staring at my navel, but um. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. No, but you brought up a good point there, where you know a lot of the days, especially in the wrestling business, um, you see a lot of people that you know like to criticize very quickly instead of looking at it as a whole. Um, how have you taken criticism with your writings or your postings, whether it be on social media or whatever? You know, how, how have you taken to that, you know, any and then any advice to that as far as criticism to, you know, podcasters or writers just starting off? Well, I think a lot of people look at this like wrestling is this um, is this really cool performance art or, or sport that's unfairly criticized and that they want to take up the cause of wrestling and convince other people that, you know, it's unfairly criticized. I'm not like that. I'm like, I want to see you clear as clearly as I can. I want to, I want to say, um, this works. Here's why, you know, this is why this is connecting. What, what's really good about this. If it's the particular analysis of what, you know, a big part of the job is watching shows and reviewing them. Um, okay. This is why this works. And this is, this is, you know, what they can do and, and all that. And, um, and, and if everything is like, if the news is good, I want to say the news is good every time. And when there's times when the news is bad, if someone's doing something unethical or dangerous or, um, you know, that's going to be bad for business, 
I'm going to say this is bad for business. I don't look at it like a scale, like, oh, I said something positive over here. Now I need to say something negative over here. Or I said six or seven negative things in a negative things in a row, if the most important things that, that catch my eye are negative, um, then that's, that's it. It's not my job to, it's my job to, um, reflect what's coming at me. It's my job to get it right and to, um, you know, and to, and to, um, you know, tell the story, tell the history. It's got a great history and I've been around long enough where, um, I'm old now, so I can, <laughs> So I remember enough where it's like I can I know some of the history history of, the, of it and I keep learning about it and there's more and more um, you know good resources to learn about the history of wrestling but all that stuff I, I want to I guess I want to honor it by getting it right but I'm not I'm not going to um, say I'm not looking to get a job in the wrestling business or or to get a better or to get comp seats if I get them that's great I mean you know I, I think it's professional to like offer that you want people who have a track record and have you know quality work to see if you're if you're um confident what you're doing to see you know to see what you're doing if you're a company but i don't i mean i've had my ups and downs with that i don't worry about that mm-hmm. um i know i'll find a way to see the show i'll find a, i'll go and whatever it is um but um i'm not if wrestling if if i, I write something that they do, and I get it right, and bus- and business gets hurt because I did that. They did it. I just wrote about it. You know what I mean? I mean, like that's part of it. I mean, and if I um, but I also think people get into these modes, and p- particularly during the Roman Reigns years, um, where there it, it's like a um, you know, for the last little era of wrestling before AEW, I think was um. And, and before the the young bucks and and the rise of New Japan in the United States um, through streaming, um, I think it was like an abusive relationship where you're going to stay with them, you know, you're going to stay with WWE, you're going to watch them, they're the major league, and, and you like wrestling, but you're frustrated, and so it becomes the death of a thousand cuts. And sometimes, uh, sometimes I said, I mean, even recently with um, with um, Brock Lesnar winning the money in the bank briefcase, I was the one that sat there and said, look, this is an angle. They want you to be mad at him for the specific reasons you're mad at them. WWE created the um, part-timer in a, um, you know, the part-timer is a traitor to the cause. Doesn't deserve, you know, the idea that you deserve to have the championship because you're a good performer who's put in the amount of time. They kind of, they created that. And also the, you know, and also the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week internet connection kind of created that too in the sense of there's a lot of wrestlers around and you know that, that you can communicate with. And then also people who are fans think they're wrestlers. So if I'm a wrestler and Brock Lesnar comes in and he gets the top spot and he doesn't have – it seems like he's not working very hard for it. I'm not looking at, well, he earned it through this thing or, or he generates this money for the company – more than I do, I'm looking at it like, um, you know, I'm looking at it like that guy doesn't do anything and he's never here and then he gets all the prime stuff or a, a good bit of the prime stuff. That's not fair. But if you're a fan and you're looking at it, I think you should be looking at, um, you know, the excitement level rises when he comes and if he comes all the time, if he's if he's on every show, the, the, the excitement level goes way down. He's not worth it. But if, but if he's used sparingly and used in the way that he is, he's, you know, because I grew up with Andre the Giant and 
the the AWA and the NWA champions traveling, and um, I saw what would happen. You know, when when all of a sudden you got this big star that came and made a special appearance. It was um, they used to bring in Bob Backlund to the um, Greensboro Coliseum and he'd make appearances, um, just for, just to like just to spice things up. I saw what would happen to the shows. I liked that. I didn't like, I didn't think as a fan, Oh no, I don't want that guy coming around because it's not fair to Johnny Weaver. Who's there all the time. I just thought, well, it makes, you know, it, it spices up the shows and the wrestlers used to get paid. If Andre, the giant, they're on the show with Andre, the giant. Um, and, and the week before they were on the, the same cast of wrestlers and there's no Andre, the giant, they made more money usually when Andre the Giant came in, because Andre the Giant brought in more fans, that's why they brought him in in the first place. And so the the pie got big enough, the pie got bigger, the money pie got bigger that everybody on the show got a little bit more money because they were paid based on the gate. And so you know now WWE doesn't do that. WWE pays whatever they pay. They pay what they want to, and they they pay the wrestlers what they want to. And Brock Lesnar gets what he's contractually obligated to get and so are a lot of people but they don't see a change in their pay from time to time they, they they're going to see it on the big shows but they're not going to really sit but it really but really who's on the show if rocks on the show or some special attractions on the show it doesn't make a difference to the wrestlers but um anyway mm-hmm. what i you know so i understand all that but I, I you know like i'm the one going look brock lesnar you're still watching they get a ratings boost out of it. It made it more intriguing. And when he comes out, there's a palpable energy that this is important. He's not on um, a fly, you know, he's not go away heat. He's not, but, and, and you can also kind of tell how people react because it's just like they start grinding their teeth and getting pissed off as soon as they see him. Well, that's what happens with a good heel. Mm-hmm. Like you're just, you know, that what, that's what happens when, you know, that guy cheated to win. I hate him. It makes me sick. Why don't they do something about him? Um, that was the reaction you would get to fans that were really into really into wrestling, whether they b- believed it 100% that it was real or, you know, knew what it was, but they could get emotionally involved in it. Um, that's what you get. So when I point that out and people are mad at me, it's like, I'm sorry. I got it. You know, it's like it's a pain sometimes, but it's like. I got it. You know, I, I'm telling you this. And I do enjoy it, which is not a good <laughs> side of my character sometimes. But um, I do like teasing my friends and going, uh, you know, this is, a, you know, this is, a, you know, the difference between Brock and Roman Reigns was they were pushing Roman Reigns as a hero. And people were either I want him as a villain or I want him gone with Brock. They took this part-timer thing and this resentment among the wrestlers and spread it to the fans. And, and you can argue it. I think it's dumb I, I, because I think it. I, I think in the end it, it devalues part-timers. It devalues special attractions. And, and you know, if you look at WrestleMania every year, it's like who's special going to come? Is Undertaker going to come back? Is Steve Austin going to come back? Is um, Sting going to be there? Is John Cena going to be there? That's special attractions. And um, so, you know, for the biggest show of the year, you're kind of, you're, you know, you're cutting off your thumb to spite your face, I guess is mm-hmm. not the metaphor. So. Right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, you know, you, you know, and, and trying to stay ahead of, because what I've noticed the whole time I've ever been doing this is the conventional wisdom a lot of times is wrong or it's behind. It hasn't caught up. And so I like being ahead of the curve. I try to like think for myself and be ahead of the curve. And, and that's been um, good. But I would just say, I would just say, make a strong case or do a strong piece. Don't be afraid. Of, you know, don't, don't, 
they'll say, I can't write about Saudi Arabia because somebody's going to get mad at me in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, because what they, when you're like that, that's just a little example. I mean, that's a big example, but when you're like that all the time, they don't respect, they don't respect you when you do that. Uh, after a while, they, they're just like, okay, we, this guy's in our pocket. Um, this woman's in our pocket. We can do whatever we want to. And if you want to be an announcer, go be an announcer. You know, learn the wrestling and go be it, but learn how to be an announcer. If you want to be a wrestler, go learn to be a wrestler. And, you know, a lot of times, um, and, and practice it and all that, a lot of times people think that um, doing what I do is an entryway into getting in the business itself. And I've never thought that. And what little, every once in a while, someone will offer me something to do something, usually, you know, and. And I just don't want to cross that line. It's like, if I'm going to be, I don't think I'd be a very good performer. I might, who knows, but I don't think I'd be a very good performer. And um, if you're just going to use me to like get me to write nicely about you in the torch, then I'm compromised. And and so I, you know, I, I just never did that. And I think like Major League Wrestling, WCW, WWE, um, I don't know about AEW, but um <laughs> You know, I, I would imagine if WWE made a list of the people they wanted to employ in, you know, in the United States, I'd be at the bottom of the list. Not at the top, not in the middle. I'd be at the bottom. So um, I don't I don't think of that, you know, I don't, you know, that's not something I wanted to write. And I found a good place to write and I get paid for it and mm-hmm. I, I get some um, and people react to it. And there's times when I get and it happened just recently. There's times when I get criticized really strongly really personally but they don't criticize what i said or what i wrote that tells me um i what i wrote was dead on and it bothers that person so much and they wish they hadn't wrote written it and so they're gonna they're gonna come after me personally that's like a big badge of honor to me Mm. that's like the guy knows the, the company knows whoever it is you know there was just last week or I guess a few weeks beforehand it was Vince Russo you know it was like Russo threw a fit and um painted a picture of me and he had really personal stuff and and um he didn't he didn't respond to um and all I had said was that the two you know the two that claimed in um uh, dark side of the ring to to suggest to Vince McMahon the you know the screw job finish one of them knew about those finishes throughout the whole history of wrestling, and the other one was proud of not knowing anything. And so, to me, there was one that made sense that he would know, you know, Jim Cornette, that he would be able to, he would know that that was an option, and he would know how to suggest it. And the other one is Vince Russo. And so, of the two, you know, Vince Russo claimed it all along, which I, I don't know that adds any credibility or not. I didn't think it did. And um, my judgment was, well, I believe Cornette. And so um, I got this, you know, you know, and those things have happened over the years. And people, I mean, I think the people that do them um, don't understand that, like, all you're telling me is you got nothing. You know, you got no response. You got no credible response that I covered all my bases and I left my, you know, and I didn't leave one, per, you know, I didn't leave a 5% or, one, or I didn't leave that one little thing that they could jump on and open the door to you know, putting doubt on everything else. And that's the, to me, that's the goal is to, you know, be right, make your case. Um, don't leave any, don't leave any, um, holes in what you've done and, um, you know, whether it's positive or negative and, and people enjoy reading it and learn from it and, and 
and think about it. And that's mm-hmm. that's the deal. So. Yeah. You know, and, and it's one of the things that I've learned since watching wrestling and following wrestling as long as I have for, like I said, since for the last probably about 20 years at this point. But uh, there's always one side, there's always two sides. And then somewhere in between that, there's the truth. Uh, you brought up. Well, Vince- life is like that. Well, you know, right. Life is like that. Right. Yeah. But you brought up Vince Russo with the whole the Montreal screw job, all that stuff. And I'm sure you saw his comments about, you know, last weekend we had AWW double or nothing, which, you know, at this point has been, you know, you know, that stepping stone from going higher in the business and in the industry. And he made the comment of that, you know, WWE and AEW has got to be working together. Um, whether... There's sides to it. There's a truth to it. Whatever the case may be, I'm not here to, you know, to ask that. But what, you know, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's some sort of, um, you know, truth to that? I think, um, I think that ever since the the um, steroid trial and the steroid um, controversies of the early '90s and the Ring Boy um, scandal that made, you know. The major that made the major mainstream news that Vince McMahon saw the um, you know particularly coming out of his trial saw the benefit in using his own tele using his wrestling television not only to push um, the wrestling shows that he was selling and the merchandise that he was selling but to push his own family and his own agenda and his own way of, of seeing the world and um, and part of the the agenda was to push himself. And to push the family, and he did this in the '80s too, but he really ratcheted it up after he was acquitted. Um, and during the time that that, that trial was going on, um, of that he is, you know, he and his family created professional wrestling, and they run for professional wrestling, and he is the master promoter and the master manipulator, and that has helped him both with his own fan base and with. Um, you know, with business, because in the business world that doesn't follow wrestling, you know, as, as closely as they follow other industries, you know, the Wall Street, um, you know, the Wall Street people in the business world, and the advertisers and all that, the one that they the one that they know as a rule of thumb that could promote wrestling, he might be crass and he might be involved in, um, you know, he might be involved in, in um, you know, Cover, you know, he might be. It might be really bad that these people died, and it might be, you know, steroids and, and PDs. It might be really bad what happened with um, some of his wrestlers and their fates and Chris Benoit and all that. But he knows how to promote, and he knows how to promote wrestling. He's the genius wrestling promoter. Then, if you're somebody who's grown up in the, you know, particularly ever since WCW went down, but even before WCW went down, when they were starting, when they started going down. You looked at and, and WCW did this. It's like you had these wrestlers and you have um, all these, you know, these fans who are told week after week after week that um, this man's a genius. You know, this man is, you know, he's such a genius that he even plays bad guy on TV so that um, we'll all, um, you know, so that we'll all have a better product because he knows more about everything than there is to know. So you get the, um, you know, you get the conspiracy theories. You get that theory, uh, and I'll go ahead and pick on Vince Russo. You get that theory that was that Vince Russo was sent as a double agent to WCW to hasten its demise because no um, rational person could do would do the things that he did once he got there. Um, so it must have been Vince McMahon saying, "Go over there and um, 
sneak over there, get a big salary, and be a double agent. And that was ridiculous. That wasn't anything like what ha- happened. And um, so you get these people who um, are devoted to Vince and um, Vince McMahon, and either they've watched the television for so long that they think, you know, they accept what they see on television. And he is the greatest promoter in wrestling history, um, you know, by dollar bills. And that's how you judge. And he's, you know, and some of it is um, right place and right time. Some of it is um, being aggressive. And, and a big part of it, I think, is. Um, keeping the business side um, strong, and, which I think is underrated with him. But um, and, not, and, and so um, when you see this, and something's working in wrestling, AEW, and it's working, it's working really well, and, and this man seems to be struggling, but he still has this billion-dollar company, and everybody looks to him. You know, when WCW used to put over WWE, the NWO guys used to put over the WWE more than they put over WCW. I mean, in, you know, in public and behind the scenes and all that, and some of it was right, you know, some of it was right, but it's like there's this thing in people's heads that this man is this, you know, is this Machiavellian genius who knows more than anybody, and even when he's failing, um, it's it's you know it's a um, he's really not he's playing a, he's playing this really evil long term game, and you know you still have people to this day who was the Montreal screw job of work, like um, because and you can see at the beginning why they would think that because on one hand, you know when it happened, I mean remember the day after that it was like. Bret Hart's going to go to WCW and be the biggest hero in wrestling after what happened. And they're going and WCW is going to go to Montreal and go to Canada. And, you know, they're going to have this Canadian hero and they're going to expand their business and all this. And this man looks like this petty, you know, jerk. And, um, when he went on the air to talk about it, you know, he, you know, he had the boo boo face and he was, um, you know, Brett screwed Brett and, and a lot of the wrestlers want a lot of the wrestlers are furious at him and 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 all that and well um when brett got to wcw he was facing political uh, enough political opposition that they, they put a stop to that right off the bat they brought him out made him a heel they never took him to canada and um and there's all kinds of you know reasons with that and this man had sitting there stone cold steve austin and he had been ready to play heel for and fans have been ready to see him play heel for 25 years and so he was smart enough to go i can't win as a babyface. i can't babyface myself with this brett screwed brett stuff but i can make myself into the evil boss everybody hates their boss and you've got the one rebel that that'll stand up against them and um, you had one of the great babyface character babyfaces of all time, and Steve Austin. You had one of the great heels in all of all time, and a guy that was playing some, of, you know, amping up his own reality and played the hell out of it. Unfortunately, you know, after the story was over, everybody else imitated it for years and years and years, and it has nothing left. But um, it's a detriment now. But um, that was so that made it look like Vince was, you know, maybe Vince did orchestrate all of that, except for. He and Brett waited 17 years to ever come back, you know, years and years later that was that Brett came back and, you know, and there was, it just wasn't true. There was all, it's the most documented thing and documented major incident in wrestling history. We know everything that went on um, and, you know, between people talking about it, between legal documents, between lawsuits, between all kinds of, you know, all kinds of documentation. Um, But anyway, so people go. Well, God, you know, AEW's really taking off, or there must be something to this, but it's not run by Vince McMahon. Um, well, it must be Vince McMahon's doing, 
he must be, and if you correct me, I mean, don't correct me if I'm wrong. He must be manipulating. He must be the money behind a guy that owns an NFL team and owns a major soccer um, franchise, international soccer franchise, who has more money than he does. Um, he must be, you know, he must be um, financing that because God knows why would he do that. And um, it must be they're working together. And you have to look at it too. Vince, you know, Vince Russo looks at Vince McMahon as, you know, even though he, you know, stabbed him in the back and left without, you know, all that, you know, left him, left him kind of high and dry and didn't go and professionally resign or anything like that um, to this guy who gave him, you know, who gave him his whole, gave him the break that made his whole career. Um, he, you know, he very much looks at. You can see it looks at wants Vince's approval, wants Vince to forgive him, wants Vince to take him back, and they can work together and you know and get rid of the whole writing team, and they can work together and in the office and all this stuff. So what's Vince Russo going? And Vince Russo is not very well connected anymore, and um, didn't learn a whole lot. So it's like, what's Vince Russo going to say? So it's um, this kind of thing. When I see this, when I see this stuff, it's like. It's people who've been conned by the, the image of Vincent Mann instead of looking at the reality of it, particularly in 2019, you know, where he is in his life and where his company is and, and all that. And also just does this make any sense in any way, shape or form? So, yeah, do I think there's anything to it? Of course there's not. Mm. You know. Yeah, because I just – because I looked at it a whole and I tried to see both sides of it and I'm like I don't understand how a publicly traded company like the WWE – could get away with something like that and keep it under the radar because they have to let the shareholders know that, you know, they got this company now or that company now that they're helping, but that's, you know, legally that's not, they can't do that. I don't think, but I mean, there's complication and they can't, and there's complication after complication. If you start, you know, you start doing that. Yeah. You're a publicly traded company. You can have a secret business that's, that's competing with you as a scheme to monopolize your own business even further than you're monopolized. And that makes no sense. And, um, and, and yeah, it just, I, you know, so there's, you know, you said the thing about both sides. Sometimes, you know, lots of times there are things in life where there are both sides and you have to look at both sides and figure out even the um, Jim Cornette and, and Vince Russo thing. That was just my, my judgment having followed both their careers, you know, very closely and, and for, for many, many years. Um, you know, which one I thought was more likely. It wasn't that, um, it wasn't that I knew for a fact. I, I knew, I knew to me what, you know, very much that it was much more likely that one would have done it than one would have suggested that than the other, but still, I don't know. And, but there are also things where, um, there are also things in life where you go, there's not two sides. There's one side that's very rational and logical and all that. And the other side is kind of makes no sense. That's not, it's not, it's not balanced to like give the side that makes no sense um, as much shift as the other side. It's just you know sometimes you just go no that's ridiculous. And as has Vince Russo, you know Vince Russo has a track record of making ridiculous decisions and saying ridiculous things. And does he believe that himself? Um, he might. Does is he also does he have a um, you know he's pretty much unemployable in the wrestling business and needs attention to keep his. Um, you know, to keep his podcast business going. And so say something like that, and it's going to get a little bit of attention, particularly from people who, um, you know, who think that Vincent Mann is, and the McMahon family are, um, you know, a, a, a cut above normal human beings. And that's kind of how they're portrayed on television. So, um, 
particularly in the wrestling world. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you go, um, you know, if, you know, if I go four plus four equals eight and then you, you tell, and then someone else says four plus four equals seven and we count it up, it's not balanced. It's like one side's right and one side, one side is correct and the other side just isn't. Yeah, no, no, yeah, that's definitely, you see that, and you see, no matter what, you're going to get kicked back wherever you go, especially in the wrestling business, but uh, another thing that I've, you know, I've, I've noticed over the last, well, it's been a while, but more so in the last, I'd say about two or three months, is, you know, you see that WWE, whether it be Raw or SmackDown, those ratings are just tanking, and, you know, to me, I just think it's because there's one, there's so much out there outside of WWE that people are watching. But, you know, like I mentioned before, with the AEW Double or Nothing last weekend and all this publicity that they had leading up to it, do you th- I, I think it plays into it. Maybe it's as a whole or not, but do you think AEW kind of plays into those ratings that uh, are plummeting with WWE? Um, I think what we're seeing is... One of the things that I'm just recently starting to understand this is that um, for for many years I thought that most wrestling fans watched WWE whether they were um, satisfied with it completely or strongly dissatisfied with it. They still kind of watched, but it was also losing. You know, it was it was losing audience, and there's all kinds of factors besides a bad product, but a bad product was part of it, like a product that was frustrating to watch. Um, people, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of pushback against their corporate champions, you know, the faces of the company. And there was a lot of dissatisfaction, but it was the major league. And so, and, and people have been watching it for years and they kept watching. Um, and then you have to, um, you know, the way the, the way the platforms changed and, and um, entertainment um, and how it's delivered has changed and, and how many more options that you have, um, not just on television, but, you know, video games and everything else. I mean, there's there's a ton of, you know, there's a ton of choices. And so um, what was a lousy rating 20 years ago can be a good rating today because you have to go by, you have to judge by um, what's in, you know, you have to judge by time and place. Like and and that really worked out for WWE because um, a couple of years ago they you know they continued to drop there's this continued decline and you would have thought that it would have meant that when it came time for their cable television ratings to be um, to to turn into I mean their cable television contracts to be renewed that that would have you know a negative. Um, impact on their business it didn't it had the opposite because they hadn't their their business i mean their ratings hadn't eroded as fast as other ratings have across the board because of all these other factors and um there was a premium and and wd had done a good job with this of creating this perception that most people watch their live programming live like it's a sports like like it's, it's a um you know it's a game it's a game a sports game uh, and an important one and so you don't want to miss game you know you don't want to miss game three of the nba finals you're not going to watch it two days later and skip through all the um and dvr through the you know just plow through the commercials and not watch them you're going to watch it in real time and that way you're going to get exposed to the commercials as they play and so um wb got this huge and, and then they had um 
they they had gotten a, they had gotten ahead of UFC as far as their real competition for this kind of pseudo sport or sport you know you know something new that competed with Major League Baseball and, and the NFL and the NBA and and hockey and so um, they got this huge contract but also with their own fan base at the same time they got this huge contract they were um, losing their base and they lost all the casual fans, the people that just watched wrestling that were, you know, they, they lost them a long time ago. They had a, they had a pretty strong base that was willing to spend a lot of money. A lot of people were a lot more than anybody had ever spent in wrestling to like follow wrestling, but they were, they were, those people were dissatisfied and, you know, and it started to really move after that cable contract. It started to really move after, um, you know, as far as getting down into real dangerous levels um, when, when Roman Reigns got sick, when, um, Lesnar left, when, when, um, you know, after WrestleMania and, and, um, Ronda Rousey left and, and, but also just, just, you know, there's a whole hornet's nest of problems, but this just this content where you're watching it. And if you're a rational person, you know, John Moxley talking about it this week, um, having to perform it, you, it gives you a headache to watch. It gives you a you know, gives you an ulcer to perform. It's so poorly done, and um, you know that came due. And so now, I thought, you know, I always thought the rating bill would come due, but I didn't. I didn't think it was going to come due before they made it to to the Fox network. And so, you know, there's a lot of pressure on WWE right now. And then um, the other thing we kind of know is that of those people and of the people who left and, and stopped watching WWE. And that rating erosion, they still are wrestling fans and they're watching, you know, it's easier to watch around the world than it's ever been through streaming services, through just the internet. And, um, and they were prime, you know, that's what I wanted to know when I watched, um, when I watched, um, double or nothing the other night was, okay, is this going to be, you know, have they been damaged, has AEW been damaged already by, people thinking that wrestling is passe or is no good and they're just not interested or is it that WWE has been damaged and you've got some people that are hungry and this is still going to grow because you see this hunger come across and you saw the hunger you didn't see you, you saw people who wanted wrestling they just didn't want WWE style sports entertainment wrestling and um, it wasn't perfect but it was an histor- I just thought it was a historic show because it succeeded on its own, it succeeded at a major league level on its own merits um, from day one um, and it's you know and it's a reaction to um, you know it's, it's a reaction to the all those WWE 24/7 gimmicks and weird things that we've seen and drop storylines and um, frustrating gimmicks put on talented wrestlers and and all the you know and storylines being dropped and brought forward and, and people being pushed that you didn't like and people that you like not getting pushed and and as far as they should have been and um you thought they should have been and i mean it's just um you know i, I think we got two separate audiences now you got one that's going one that's eroding and then you've got another one that's not watching they're not they think aew is major league and new japan is major league and and whatever else they're what you know the international matches around the world that audience is growing um it's not anywhere near we don't know that's anywhere near wwe but if they go into um october and uh, they go into october on tnt with that show and they draw a million fans um uh, they get a rating of a million fans or close to it from the beginning um it's going to be 
you know, it's going to be a contest. And if they get more than that and WD is dropping, um, it's going to be a real contest. So, um, you know, of the two, you want to be the one that's perceived as growing. You want, you know, the, the new cool kid and not the old fuddy-duddy. And right now there's no bigger fuddy-duddy in, in um, popular culture than, than 73-year-old Vince McMahon. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things a lot of people want to complain about it, and then you see this brand-new product with AEW and all that stuff, and, you know, they're taking they're, oh, they're taking away all these WWE stars that are past. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if you go back, Christ, 35, 40 years, you see Vince McMahon do the same thing to the territories. So it's just different eras of it. And it's, it's people, like I said, people want to complain and criticize it, before they actually look at it. Um, and well, also, you get used to what you get to, you know, one of the things about wrestling is most people aren't wrestling fans. Most of your friends are, unless you just, unless, and I know people that like all their friends are wrestling fans, but, but, you know, you, um, and you get used to a way of wrestling being, um, you know, you complain about whatever it is, you're used to it, and then the world changes, the, the ground shifts underneath your feet. And to me, that's a big part of this job is, is, you know, kind of separating what I like, although what I like is stuff that works. Um, I, I like that, I like that, you know, that, that really exciting match where there's something at stake and the fans are into it and, you know, and, and you go through a, you know, you go through a roller coaster and, and it's, you know, and it, and it ends in a dramatic way. I mean, I, and it, and it, there's the next chapter to it. I like that. I think that's, the, but I also think that's the stuff that's the best for business and there's all kinds of ways to do it. Um, but you, you know, you get used to like saying, oh, I'm, I'm an expert, you know, thinking of yourself as like, I'm an expert in wrestling. Roman Reigns sucks. And here's 10 reasons why Roman Reigns sucks. Well, um, and when my friends talk to me, I can like be an authority, but then all of a sudden you've got this thing over here that maybe you haven't been paying attention to that catches you off guard and you can end up, um, you know, you've got it. You, you, to me, it's, it's a lot because you've got to keep up with and there's so much to keep up with particularly in this era of great matches you got to keep up with um the major things that are going on today and then you've got to and then to really understand it you've got to have a you've got to have an understanding of what you were talking about you know the history of it and um and 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 why things work the way they did in other contexts and other times and keep putting the puzzle together to see you know where it's going to go and you don't know you know and we don't know i mean we don't know if if aw comes out and their television shows aren't strong and they're for whatever reason or and there's all kinds of reasons they never they haven't done a weekly television show of two hours live before that's a major challenge if they to me they've they've stepped they've done every step of the ladder and been successful but the next step and so they've built themselves to a place where the steps are even more important and they've got to hit everyone too. And so, just, you know, and Vincent man has to do this all the time too. Um, WWE has to do this all the time too, mm-hmm. but yeah, you get, um, you get your world kind of ch- taken upside down. And so, um, you, to me, in the last few weeks, I've seen people that I thought, you know, were pretty strong about their understanding of things show that they got left behind. And, and so the, the choice is to just, you know, the choice is to just stay stubborn and go, this is the way it should be. When there's, you know, when something is working that's different, to me, I want to learn why it's why it's working, not tell you why it shouldn't work, mm-hmm. because it's working. You know, it's not, you know, it's working. So, um, why? You know, I'm not. Joey Ryan isn't for me. Um, 
you know, to me, that's just, I'm not all that offended by it, but it's like, it's a one note joke, but, um, you know, why is he being able to, why is that guy been able to, um, make his career, um, you know, make more money and get more exposure and, and, and be more successful. What has he done to like, you know, to keep that one joke going. And so that part, that part of it is like really interesting to me. I, I mean, the joke is, you know, it's a Saturday night live skit, but who, you know, so, um, does it ruin the wrestling business? Should he not be allowed to do it? And, well, um, I saw Brute Bernard when I was a kid, and Brute Bernard was as silly as you know, you know, at the latter part of his career was a was a guy who who, um, you know, who strutted around the ring, ball headed guy strutted around the ring and went, you, uh, 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 uh. and that was the, that was what he did. That was the that was his thing. It was dumb as it could be. So, um, but he had had a long career. Yeah, successful. Yeah, you know, and I think another thing that really plays into, you know, whether it be the AEW or WWE or, you know, whatever promotion that you're, you know, you're doing is something I found this morning and you commented on it with uh, Brian Alvarez over at Black Label Pro. Um, You know, the way the social media is now, you know, everybody and anybody has social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, whatever. You know, we, we saw you know, promos being cut on him by family members of Marco Stunt. What do you see is that social media impact, whether it be positive or negative, um, and is it really hurting the business? I, I think it's, I think it just is. Some of it hurts the, when it's used poorly, when it's used in the wrong ways, it hurt. It hurts when it's used in the right way. It, it can, um, you know, I point again to um, nobody was nobody could figure out a way to um, to really use to really use um, YouTube. Um, you know, you put your wrestling shows up on YouTube. You could do, but nobody could get any traction with it. You could put your wrestling matches there, and people would watch them. But it was it, it wasn't something that um, you know it wasn't something that made um, you know it made it, that really worked until. Um, being the elite, and they they hit a tone or something that really got helped get the young bucks over to sell that that worked with their that worked in conjunction with their grassroots. Um, you know, go to a town, get work at an work an indie date, um, sell T-shirts, give everybody that buys a T-shirt a moment to take a you know take a selfie, to speak to them, just kind of you know build build everything grassroots and to do um, a short kind of comedic. Um, meta, um, you know, works on several levels. Show that actually got wrestlers over. That got um, that 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 sold T-shirts. That that helped other wrestlers. That did, you know, that had this this thread that people really enjoyed. And so it's figuring out how to do that. In, in the case of Black Label Pro and Brian Alvarez, you have to understand that um, I was sitting in the balcony at the AEW show last summer when. Um, Next to Brian Alvarez, when he saw Marco Stunt come out, and and um, and so I saw Marco Stunt at um, at the um, Scenic City Invitational in Tennessee a little while before that, and like if there's ever a guy that was me- that was made for Brian Alvarez at his point in his life, working his major job the way he does, but also having been a wrestler and being the size that he is. Um, that he could um, heal on, 
and have you know and kind of have some fun. It's not a major program, but it's like it's something that you could add to a you know that you could add to the show and, and have some fun with. Um, you know, if you can't see that Brian Alvarez, who hosts um, Wrestling Observer, you know, Wrestling Observer show, um, is it is that's really Brian Alvarez, and then this Brian Alvarez is a character, um, and there's a lot of tongue in cheek to it. Then that's um, and and I get in trouble sometimes, and I'm real tongue in cheek uh, about different things, and so some people take me completely literally, and I'm just like shaking my head, going, "Can't you see this is a joke?" and um, and sometimes I guess it's on me. Most of the time I don't think it is, but but anyway, um, I, I thought that I thought that Dad Marco, you know Marco's dad, who I've met, um, did a hell of a job. You know, cut a really good promo, like a wrestling promo, mm-hmm. where you thought um, there's heat here. You know, you can still give those re- direct wrestling promos, not about you know, not cut 90% of it on the fans and, you know, how stupid and ugly and redneck and, and, um, hillbilly. And I, I went to a show last night where the, uh, a guy I know does that every single time. And, you know, 90% of, you know, what city are we in? Your, your, your sports team team stinks and everybody kind of laughs to themselves, but, you know, cut a promo on your opponent. Um, and the, the, the stunt family cut a I thought a pretty, I was like watching this going, wow, they get it. You know, that's mm-hmm. how you do a promo. Mm-hmm. And, and Brian's kind of, you know, Brian's playing the heel and, um, and over it. And so to me, like I, I made my little comment about stay away from mom. It was completely fits in storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also just me for me. Um, like I said, I was sitting there and I knew Marco was coming out. I was like, I gotta, I gotta like look at Brian's face when he sees this guy. And he had the same reaction I did, which was like, I gotta work with this guy. And so, you know, because Marco's stunt looks like a, you know, looks like a 13 year old, you know, and, and, then he can, and then he can, I mean, he really, I'm not like making any, I mean, that's the gimmick. Yeah. And then he can move and people, you know, then he can have a match and, and he can, yeah. you can get heat on him by selling and, and, um, and he can make a comeback and, and, and all that. I don't think he's the, um, I remember like seeing him and all my friends were like, that's the next big star. There was another guy on that show. I thought, no, in two years, this guy will be a real star. You know, WWE will love him. And then he subsequently quit the business. So, um, you know, you never know, but, but yeah, but yeah, I think that like, I think that, um, when I don't think it's a major problem, but I think when, um, you don't want to remind people that, you know, if you don't have to, that, wrestling is cooperation you know that that you're that you might be you know good friends with the person that you're feuding with that you're having a program with that you're feuding with behind the scenes there's a time to do that so if you're out there on one show you know if you're out there on 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 smackdown and you know cutting promos on your opponent and then you're on social media in front of a million or so people um, being pals with them. You're just muddying up your uh, message. You want people to have, you want people to be able to stay in the movie and kind of have that emotion. Um, so, and then there's just things, that, you know, there's just things that you just cringe at that, um, you know, I always, I'm always kind of amazed at people who go, um, my boss is an idiot on social media. You know, I don't even, even talk about wrestlers, but it's like, my boss is an idiot. I hate my job. It's like, your boss probably is an idiot. I know you hate your job, but that's not the point. You don't stand in the middle of the town square and yell that because it's just going to make your life harder. You know, it's like you figure out a way to solve the problem and, you know, you leave your job or whatever it is, but you just don't, you don't speak out of school like that. And so um, I think a lot of that comes down, you know, 
wrestlers, you know, wrestlers doing that. And you look at Lars Sullivan, and you know, I, I think he had no idea when he was out there, you know, hate speech trolling people that there would come a day where someone would look back at that and go, "What kind of person are you? I don't want to be associated with you." And you have to like have that. I mean, there's just things that you, you know, you don't put your business out in the street. You don't put every no one needs to know every single um, thought that you have, and particularly if you're, you know, if you're filled with hate. I mean, it's you know, you know, it's not you're going to end up isolating yourself. So that kind of thing, I look at and go, it's it's an opportunity to screw up, and you should think, you know, if you're impulsive or you say things before you think them through, and and all that, maybe you should um, not tweet, or you should just, you know, I know the stuff that I. And, and I'm human. I, I put up stuff sometimes. I go, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. But um, most of the time, it's like I, I don't. Most of the time, I try to think it all the way through. And um, because once it's there, it's there. So, um, you know, if you're in WWE, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting to me is there's pushback against the creative now in public because and, – and a big part of it is because of AEW. You know, you've got these really talented wrestlers – looking at AEW and seeing and seeing um john moxley go i want to be uh, you know i want to control my i know what's best for me and i want to control my own destiny and i can do a better job than you know this man could do for me and he's the problem and they're going yeah here's and here's a place i could do that instead of yeah i wish there was a place that i could do that so i'm just gonna keep i'm just gonna grind forward and hope it all works out for me and if not um i'll maximize as much money as i can from 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 the major league wrestling promotion. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where it is, it's funny to think about that before I started doing the show, I've been doing interviews on and off for probably about a year and a half, two years, uh, podcasting. And it's before that, I had no idea what Twitter was. I had no idea what Instagram was. I had Facebook, but that was only for, you know, family stuff. And now it's like, I wouldn't be, you know, caught dead without using it because it's such a great way to promote things whether it be the show or you know stuff that i'm doing for uh the upstate pro wrestling that i do backstage interviews for or i do that to promote coming up shows or whatever uh and it just you see people abuse it as well and it's just i i I don't get it but you know i've always thought that you know that old term called the kayfabe it's long and long and gone i think and i don't really see it ever coming back no, I think what you shoot for, and I think, you know, I'm I'm an older fan and been around, you know, when there were fans that believed all together. But I think even back then, what you really wanted was a product where you could get, I mean, what promoters wanted was a product where fans could get emotionally involved in it while they were watching when they went to the show. I, I mean, I saw it, and I, I've heard it talked about it many, many times. But I definitely saw it, you know, the person that's jumping up and down and wants to kill the heel, like, you know, do something rap and then when the show was over and if you ask them what they just saw they'll go yeah i know it's a show you know it's like but but it could just push their buttons like i think you could you know you got i mean you know i i knew that there was no um infinity gauntlet you know i knew there was no nine stones but um i could get it i could watch those movies and and they they played by a set of rules that I could I could get I could get into and 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 then it was real suspenseful and when when you know at the end of that end of the first uh, you know the Infinity War movie when 
Thanos killed half the galaxy. I didn't think that Thanos had killed half the galaxy. I thought I was watching a really an engaging movie where I was like, well, how do they get out of, the, you know, how are they going to get, how, are, how is my heroes going to get out of this? And I wanted to see, but I wasn't, um, you know, expecting to go and go to school the next day and see half my class gone. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, that's just a normal thing. I think that, I think that real and fake and kayfabe stuff is just so overblown, particularly now. It's if, can you tell, can they put on the air and tell a story the way a great example of it was Cody and, um, Dustin mm-hmm. were Cody and Dustin really having an issue or they, do they really, do they really have an issue to the point where they need to beat the hell out of each other? Everybody knows they didn't, but they gave you a story um, from signing that match and the, the videos that they did through the whole match of, you know, of two brothers coming back together um, at a place where they could, you know, and and, and earn, you know, learning so much respect for, the, for each other because of how hard they both fought and how good they both were that, you know, the crowd could get into it. And then was like, I don't want my, um, you know, I want my older brother, and it was a callback to Dusty and Dustin in, WC, in WCW. What I, you know, and and Dusty Rhodes's last great promo hmm. of his career, and um, you know, you're emotional about it because there's some reality to you know how brothers get along, and they played it so well. But you didn't think, oh, this was real that he really, you know, that that they really beat the hell out of each other like that, even though in some ways they did beat the hell out of each other yeah. like that because they, um, in the performing it, they performed it so tightly, um, you know, like in the Rocky movies where, you know, Sylvester Stallone um, in, the, in the fight scenes and the boxing scenes, you know, they cut it really close um, sometimes. I mean, it was, um, yeah. So like, I, I think that that stuff, I think the idea that you're going to get people to exactly believe um, there's still a few. There's still, I mean, you know, there are people that they turn on their television. If it comes across their television, um, they believe it because it wouldn't be on television if it wasn't true. And, um, you know, you, you get you get all kinds of part, but just tell a compelling story with stars that, um, you know, stars that have some star quality and have it make, make enough sense that people can hang their hat on it. And you've got, you know, you've got something. It doesn't have to be. Um, kayfabe but i don't think that you know I, I think one of the problems on social media sometimes is they um you know you watch somebody that you like on social media like rusev was like this he would be a heel and then you would see him on social media and he was a lot more interesting and likable than he was on television mm-hmm. so i think that you know i think you sending different signals and then you know you have to look at it you know if you're if you have a business you have to look at it like this is the front this is one of my, um, you know, front doors of my business. When people come in, it's not just, you know, it's not just, and, and sometimes because of the volatility of, you know, that I, you know, when someone comes after me and is mean and disrespectful and ignorant, then I try to be funny about it, but I'm going to shut them down or I'm going to ignore them. And I have to like make that choice. The best choice usually is to ignore them, but I also want people to know, okay, you know, this is, you know, you know, other people are watching. This is what happens. You know, you have to leave the store. You know, yeah. and then we're gonna. You know, the rest of us are going to um, talk about things and discuss things. Um, you know, with some manners. Right. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, you know, to you know, try to kind of wind down, close shop up a little bit. I have a couple of listeners' questions for you um, that I got from Twitter. Uh, one question is for my man John on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know what uh, what has been some of your favorite and or best matches that you've either seen or um, uh, you know reported about. Um, just thumbnail. Um, and uh, I'm gonna try to like talk some of these. I've seen and some of these I've been there live for. Um, but um, I would start, I think for me, it has to start with Ricky Steamboat and um, Ric Flair. And and watching Ric Flair have, um, you know, live have, and watching those guys have matches um, that were the best in the world, state of the art. And I'm not even, and as great as 89 was, I'm really talking about from like 77 until about 83. Um, and then, and then Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. Um, I very much was a fan, a huge fan of all Japan wrestling in the Saruta, Kawada, um, Tawe, Mizawa, Kabashi era. And, there's, and, and I was and, and I was a huge fan of Stan Hansen and and, and Bruiser Brody and and that era of Japanese wrestling. Um, I thought Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Um, had tremendous main event matches um, at the very top of the business, and that Austin, um, you know, the, the biggest sold out Greensboro Coliseum, the biggest pop I ever saw was Austin and Undertaker on a house show on a Saturday night. I mean, the biggest like reaction to any any wrestling show I'd ever seen was 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 that in the heyday of you know in, the, in both their heydays, and um, and so that was you know that was really big. There's been um, in the last. It ended up being like four or five years, but um, and this is a guy I just say keep an eye on. He just uh, signed up because he's young. He just signed up with NXT, but a guy who um, at his point in his career was every bit as good as Steamboat and Flair. Um, and there that, that same points in their career, um, it was such a privilege to watch in a small auditorium and watch Trevor Lee play championship wrestler and mm-hmm. have these just amazing for their time. Uh, he was um, in an era where in-the-ring work is is so high. It's right now, and and all the times that I've seen, um, you know, that was, you know, that was um, what a privilege and what a thing to see. Now I don't know that he's going to get the chance to do that, but um, a guy that could um, have short matches, long matches, that could do what Ric Flair used to do, um, which is have have a great match with a 50 year old, um, broken down, um, indie wrestler and have a great match and have a, um, complete five-star match with an indie wrestler from the same era who was, who's, you know, same age. That was really, really good. And, and just hold the crowd and, and hold everything that was there. And then to, to watch that and say that and have people because of technology, instead of them going, Oh, it's just some guy from his, some guy from his home area, um, be able to watch and go, well, Bruce and you know wanting to be, be wrong and go Bruce and wrong. Um, that you know Trevor Lee, I would say, put an eye on him. Um, Tanahashi and Okada and Kenny Omega and um, hell, um, you know I, I think Jericho's in this too. And I think those matches at the, the storytelling and the just the subtleties and the um, callbacks and the long term storytelling that rewards fans for watching and just the 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 high quality of how they're performed 
um, you know, New Japan gets a lot of, um, you know, New Japan gets a lot of credit in this era, and they deserve it. That stuff is um, state of the art. And even though, you know, the guy who made me a wrestling fan was Ric Flair, and the guy that and, and Steamboat too, and and the guy that. Um, and I always have said, who's best, you know, who's the greatest wrestler of all time? Well, it's Ric Flair because he was the one that had the great matches with a wider variety of opponents, night after night after night, than um, anybody in the history of wrestling. I now, and I will answer that probably to the day I die. Who's the greatest is Ric Flair, but I really think that what you can be is the best in your time and place. That's the best you can be. And, um, and so we see, you know, we see some great, great wrestling now that's going to be, um, you know, now want to see the characters and the, um, and the storylines fit the entering work. I think if you do that, then the business could really have that next boom period. Um, another match, just because it was, the, I brought this up before, but it's the last, it was the lost great feud. And I was in front of no cameras. I was lucky enough to see it. And it was also the last match of the Four Horsemen, and that was um, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson with with JJ Dillon versus um, Stan Lane and, and Bobby Eaton, the Midnight Express with with Jim Cornette. And it didn't have a finish. It was their first match in Greensboro, and it was just like watching. It was six guys who knew exactly what to do, exactly when, and it just captivated everybody. And you couldn't wait to see the next match. It was like watching a fine Swiss watch balanced with every single bit, you know, every part that it had to have and no, no extra parts, no extra movement, no nothing. And we were, you know, my friends and I were so excited that to see the rematch the next month and it was such a great match. And then we went into the Coliseum and ring announcer, we had front row seats and the ring announcer turns around to us, turns around, I don't know, it was Shivani or it was, and, and turns around and goes, um, they're gone. And he met Tully and Arn and never saw it again and never will. And that's, you know, that to me, that was like, that was one, you know, that was a great match, but I've been just by time and, and, and all that and going to things, I've been able to see a ton of great stuff. You know, I, I, I was not, life kind of kept me away from um, Las Vegas, but I was able to go to all in and, you know, and all kinds of different things. Um, so that would be, it's hard to like even answer that question. That's a long answer. I'm sorry about that, but no, that's fine. That gives, that gives you kind of some of the ones, but not all of them. Um, you know, I, I think watching Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee have their fist fights when they're at the top of their game and top of their talking game, that stuff was great. I mean, that was just great. You know, so um, it's there's all kinds of stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, Justin Davis wants to know is what's one thing, and it's hard to probably narrow it down to one thing, but um, if that, but, uh, that you reported that you later looked back at and said, you know, I probably shouldn't have said it that way or this way or not at all. What's that one thing? Yeah, I'm going to give the wrong answer here. I stand by everything I wrote. Um, the one thing that I look back that I miscalculated, um, but I stand by, I very much stand by, um, what the, the theme of the column was and the, I wrote a column called Onward Christian Onward Cornet Soldiers about Jim Cornette booking um, New Jack and Mustafa, the gangsters in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And basically the idea of it was that I would just push 
that idea of using racial heat to its limit and uh, past its limit. And then I would put the black guys over the white guys in every single circumstance and, and really like heat seeking ways. And I thought that, um, I thought that Jim Cornette would see the satirical part of it, maybe not like it a, a ton, but he would, he would be okay with it. And that's where I learned that, um, I learned that Jim Cornette has this emotional component that he has, which is um, if he thinks you betrayed him or if he thinks that you um, went against him, um, he he lives for the – he would rather cuss somebody out than be a power in wrestling. You know, and he loves wrestling, and he's smart about it. I mean, he's behind the time. I mean, I listened to him the other day, and I was, I was like, wow, he really is behind the times. For the first time, I've ever really felt like that way. I mean, I think there's certain things – certain times but um that i didn't mean to hurt the guy's feelings and i heard i heard his feelings and i had i actually kind of checked around to see the people that knew him like what do you think of this and um i even like i mentioned some some of the female office workers in, in the course of it and they were laughing going oh yeah i like that i think that i get it it's funny i and they were kind of flattered to be in a, an article well um you know uh, that that part, um, I went really strong, and it hurt his feelings. I did not mean to hurt his feelings, but um, I, I, I kind of gave him more credit than that. But the point of the column was, there's such a thing as too much heat, and um, boy, did I, you know, I, in, a, in a real interesting way, boy, did he prove me right. And I, you know, that part of it, I, I would try to, I would try to couch it in a different way. I'd still have a strong um, a message because I just thought it was dangerous and crap to, um, to to instigate racial, you know, racial tension like that to, to make money off of it. And I thought, you know, he was going to turn himself baby face and try to talk, you know, against him. And, and it wasn't good. And, and it, it didn't work for his promotion. It was a bad, it was a bad move. And, um, and he will say that to this day, but once you're on that list, man, you're on that list mm-hmm. and God bless him. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's, I think, I think that I, I think, that just okay this is license for me to cut a promo and he's he you know he cuts you know that great negative like creative like mean as crap promo and um and he would rather do that than um than anything in the world and so you know he's not gonna he's not gonna take one person off that list once you make it mm-hmm. so it, it it's an interesting thing. So yeah, I, that's what I would, that would probably be it. But in the main, I stand by everything I wrote, mm-hmm. I, every part of it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's probably, and if I, you know, if you can show me where there's something I got factually wrong, I'll, um, I'll correct it. And I always have, I don't think I always have with that. I, I think like you have to, but yeah, there's not anything that I look back and I go, there's some ones that I go look back at that one very well written, particularly in the beginning. I kind of cringe, but, um, as far as like the ideas behind them, no, yeah. I'll, I, I take them for better or for worse. They're mine. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Figured I, I'm like, okay, I'll ask it. I'm like, okay, I got to word it a different way, but yeah, that works. Um, you know, lastly, you know, appreciate you coming on. Obviously I know you're a busy guy. You just ended school. You got, you know, PW Torch work for you. Uh, you know, take the last minute or two just to plug anything that you got coming up, social media, got way that guys can get a hold of you. Well, I mean, I first have to start with Wade Keller did two and a half hours of two-part interview with the um, most newsworthy person in professional wrestling at this instant in the last month and maybe in this year, um, and that's John Moxley. Um, and so it's available on the free site with ads. And, yeah, you're going to listen to some ads. Guess what? It's a business. And, um, 
you know, and, and it's available on free site. It's also available on um, pwtorch.com slash go VIP, or you can sign up for it, nine ninety nine, get it ad free and get um you know, and get an archive of 30 years worth of newsletter materials of, of my writing of a lot of, you know, to be able to like follow, um, you can see what was written about the specific stories, the end of WCW, all kinds of things in real time, um, as it goes through, then there's, um, over 70 hours of podcast a week to listen to, including the Bruce Mitchell audio show, um, with, with that, um, you know, and people are into podcasts, so am I. And and so, um, stay. And we do roundtables right after the major events in professional wrestling, and and um, to talk about you know, you know, like an hour after the show's over, you've got this podcast of experienced commentators, um, Wade Keller and I, and Todd Martin, and 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 other folks. That um, there's all kinds of content, interviews. Wade Keller was. The, the first person to do, you know, the first person to widely do sh- shoot interviews before there was shoot tapes and before there was, you know, there was the torch talk and he was the one that kind of broke that free. And so there's a lot of long form um, interviews, but I, I point right at John Moxley right now. I mean, that was the way he did a great job with that. Moxley's Moxley. I, I think the difference is this is the first guy, first major guy to go um, not to tap dance around this man. Um, you know, the, to say there's problems with, but you know, then kind of leave that door open for Vince Man. He points right at Vince Man and goes, "Vince Man is the problem," and it's something that people have known for years, and I think a lot of fans knew. But this is the first time that that there's been not only someone willing to say that, but someone willing to um, bet on his own ability, and and that's what you know, that's what Cody Rhodes did too, but to bet on his own ability and have this platform and you know hit this home run like he's done. Um, and then all the ins and outs of that, and, and particularly, you know, you know how he left the company. It, it's fascinating because part of this is part of this is going to be gamesmanship. How do the people that have talent and marketability and their and their contracts come up? How are they going to play their that are in WWE? How are they going to play their cards to um, get the most leverage and do the least damage to their careers? And um, you know. And he he was a really good example of what to do, but it's going to change because of how he did it. So um, that that to me is going to be one of the most interesting things in the next few years is, um, you know, who chooses to do what and why. Um, I think that's going to be fascinating, and you can go that through that. Also, I am at Mitchell PW Torch on Twitter, and um, lots of Twitter back and forth lately, and during the summertime, I'm. Pretty be active mm-hmm. there too when there's when there's stuff going on i'm gonna be i'm gonna be you know i like the i like the banter i like the back and forth so mm-hmm. i'm gonna be you know when i've got a minute i'm gonna be playing with it so <laughs> yeah, I that works. Anybody. yeah def- definitely a great follow you know especially like you said during especially the non-school years you always i like to see the banter going back and forth with fans that think they know more than they do and all that good stuff but um, Bruce, I pre- a, lot of, a lot of it I have, and I do want to say this. A lot of it yeah. is like my friends bantering back and forth with me. And what I've always noticed is, whenever I become friends with somebody, they are so they so aren't impressed by me. Like it's like <laughs> they're, they're more than willing to take the piss out of me, and that's fun. You know, you're going back and forth and and doing that, and they know, you know, and it's like you don't, 
you know, you don't take it personally, but it's like that, that part's fun too. So that's, that's there. There's sometimes I'm like, if you ask me the same question that 50 other people asked me that I just answered, I'm going to, um, go find you and strangle you. But it's like, you know, that's, that does I try to limit that type of stuff. It's like, you know, you know, I knew when I saw that painting, I was going to be, oh, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this. I gave it 12 hours and then I went, okay, party's over. And I just started blocking people. So, um, <laughs> What you do? No, you can't do a darn thing about it, man, man. But, uh, but yeah, Bruce, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy guy and in school and all that good stuff, but appreciate you coming on. And uh, hopefully this is one of uh, many times we can have you on. I enjoyed it. I hope that, you know, I hope me standing on a soapbox, you know, I didn't do too much of that, but I did a lot of it. So I can understand. <laughs> well, hey, but, every once yeah, in a while, I don't mind doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while. And um, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. So, Anytime. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Have I'll talk to you in the moon. All right. Big thanks goes out to the one, the only Bruce Mitchell for coming on today. Uh, go over and follow him on Twitter. Make sure that you go over and follow the PW Torch as well. A great follow. Uh, one of my must uh, reads every day. Um, but head over and follow this show on Twitter at underscore ringside rant. Follow me at Krasinski RJ as well. Head over to wherever you get your podcast, whether that be Anchor, Spotify, Google Player, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star review, and I'll make sure to give you a shout-out on that next week's show. So without further ado, I bid you adieu, and welcome to Ranters Nation. Okay, I'm Matt Willis, and this is Graham Bagshaw. <laughs> Welcome, you kid. What am I supposed to do? You just introduced me. <laughs> this should be the trailer. This is it. Listen to us Fridays on the Visionaries Wrestling Network. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's going. Send it out right now. <laughs> and it's always PG. We're out of here. <laughs> that is the trailer. That's brilliant. <laughs>